Nehemiah chapter two. Uh, we're gonna go straight to scripture today. If you're new or visiting, I just want you to know God is putting something in the hearts of his people this year, friends, that is supernatural. It is not, it's, not, it's not every other day Christianity. It's a new day of Christianity. It's a new day. It's a new season. We prayed for you before you came into this room as a prayer team, as a worship team. We prayed that this wouldn't be the same as last Sunday, that this would be new ground, that this would be new soil, that this would be new fire. My Bible calls Zechariah chapter two, a man with a measuring line. A man with a measuring line. It says, then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. Zechariah, friends, is having a vision. God is speaking to him through dreams, prophetic dreams. I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand, verse two. And I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. And then the angel of the Lord who was speaking to me left and another angel came to me and said, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Father, teach us what it means to quite simply put away the measuring line as you build your church. To put away the measuring line that ranks our marriages and ranks our heart and puts us up against other people and statistics and facts and, and yet there's a different kingdom, a kingdom without a measuring line. The measure is faith, it's different. And teach us faith today, God, in your name I pray. Everybody said. The title of my message is simply this, leveling up, leveling up. I um, remember growing up, I grew up in the home of an engineer. My dad is an engineer. Uh, if you've met one, you've met them all. Let me explain what I mean by that. Engineers think logically and practically. That's how they think. They designed like that. They're, if you're an engineer in the room, I know who you are. I know how you operate. I'm not gonna play games with five different options. You're just gonna give me one and we're gonna go with it, all right? Because we're logical, we're practical. And so everything is measured and calculated, extremely well measured and calculated. The sums my dad can do in his head, friends, I could never do in a lifetime. And so there's this, this, this thing in him. It's just this calculated, engineered, uh, kind of significant space that I grew up in. And it was, it was kind of amazing watching him do his Thing. And everywhere we went, things were calculated except for one thing, putting up a picture frame. Because you all know, you've done this, right? Ladies, if your husband's never put up a picture frame, just nudge him and say, you gotta get in the game, son, gotta get in the game. But most of us have put up a picture frame and here's how it goes. Um, first of all, you gotta figure out what type of system you're gonna use to put in the picture frame. Are you gonna use a Hilti? Are you just gonna drill it in with a nice, uh, you're gonna put a plug in the wall? You're gonna go new school, old school? Are you just gonna double-sided tape that thing? I mean, you got options, right? You got options. Nowadays, we don't waste time breaking the wall up because that's what happens, isn't it? We just put double-sided tape. The only thing is then it's done, right? So anyway, you, you stick up the, the picture frame and it could be any form of frame. We'd be putting up the picture frame and the level would be on the frame. We've measured it off the left wall, off the right wall, calculated the whole thing. The level's on the frame. The bubble says it's level. But when we step back, you know what I'm talking about, church. That doesn't look level. And suddenly all the engineering science in the world that dad grew up with is going, my eye tells me a different story. And I'm telling you, friends, it's the most fascinating thing. 
when something that doesn't look level, doesn't matter how level that bubble says it is, maybe the level's wrong, maybe someone built the wall skew, I don't know what happened. But when, but when you step back, isn't it true that every night again, you just gotta trust your eye? Isn't it true some people are going, no, please never do that. Husband, wife saying, husband, don't ever do that, all right? Your eye is horrible. It's terrible. Um, but I've kind of learned this thing, and I, often we'll be, we'll be doing something, and it could be a frame, it could be a, a railing, it could be anything, and we'll take a step back and we'll just say, just pull it down on the right, and someone will say, but it's level, so I don't care, it's not level to the eye. Pull it down on the right, this needs to look good. Tap your name and say, leveling up. Now with God, it's no different. We are in a world of metrics. We live in a world of metrics. How much money you got in your bank? How'd you do in your grades? Uh, how long you been married for? Um, how many kids you got? Just metrics, metrics, subtle competition, metrics. And it's like we're trying to decide whether our life looks good from a distance. And, and all that happens is God stands from a distance. I believe this is what he wants to say to us today. He looks at it and he goes, tweak it on the right. We say, but God is level. I've done everything I have to build my business. I've done everything I have to raise my children. God, I've done everything. They've excelled in class. Just tweak it on the right, please. Because God sees differently. You see, man sees in statistics and metrics, God sees in spirit. Can I speak to you, Link Church? I wanna help people today who live by the measuring line. I wanna set people free today who walk around with a tape measure measuring if their life is doing anything worthwhile. I wanna set some people free today who come to church checking if the last four occasions that you visited church count as a good Christian. Put away the measuring line, tap your neighbor and say, don't measure me, don't measure me. I love how Zechariah is getting a prophetic picture of God's people returning to Jerusalem, the holy city. His people are in exile. Um, and they have now kind of starting to see the inklings of coming home. They can see their future back in the city. And Zechariah is getting this prophetic picture. It's maybe not just for that time, it's perhaps for eternity, the picture that he's getting in the story. We're not entirely sure. Perhaps even a snapshot of this picture is a picture for the church, we can't be sure. But I wanna ask some questions today around what might God be saying to us around putting away the measuring line and leveling up, not in your way, in his eyes actually living up to a life that is in his eyes pleasing and perfect to him, not in yours. Leveling up, don't measure me. I was reading the scripture the first time um, and uh, I was just kind of breezing through Zechariah. I don't know how I ended up there. It's a strange book in the Bible, but I ended up there and I couldn't help myself stop at this line and God in my spirit just said, Dill, st start telling the world, don't measure me, don't measure me. Don't measure my church. Don't ask me how many people came to church on the weekend. Don't measure how much money is in our bank accounts or make assessments of where the money comes from. Or how. Don't measure me. We are a city without walls, Link Church. We are not bound by human understanding or tradition or statistics or measuring lines. Amen. And neither are you. Your life is boundaryless. It is an eternal story. It wasn't designed to be assessed within 80 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years of life. It wasn't designed like that. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and the number of your days were written and God already knew the goodness of your life. He was excited about you before anyone put a statistic on it. Don't measure me. The way God sees it is different. I guess it's about trying, not trying harder, but trusting more. And so what I have is, I guess three ideas from this story, this prophetic story that I'm still learning much about. 
that can speak to us today about leveling up. Are you ready to hear him, Link Church? You ready to listen to what the Spirit is saying? The first thought I have from the scripture is that it is without measure. Now I've said this already, but I wanna break it down because we live in a world that is metrics. I've said it already. Um, I'm not a statistic, friends, I'm a son. You're not a statistic, you're a daughter. It's interesting when Jesus is born, they're busy doing a consensus. He's irre it's irrelevant to him. He's not a statistic, he's the son. You cannot count heaven's blessing. You cannot wrap it up in a bow and send it to someone to say, this is what the Christian life looks like. You must live it by faith, amen. And so we all go through different stories. Some of us have lives we wanna talk about in the moment, some of us don't. Some of us are excelling in the world that we've been called to, some of us aren't. None of us are a statistic, we're a son, we're a daughter. I love it how he says, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. I guess a question I would ask you is how often are we making decisions in the flesh? Decisions from statistics and facts. At our business breakfast uh, last Friday, two Fridays ago, and I wanna encourage you, when those come up, you gotta come be a part of them. God just does something unique there. And uh, at the business breakfast, I interviewed a friend of mine, Llewellyn, and he was telling his story of how they moved to the North Coast, a story that has supernatural outcomes, a story that he hadn't planned for when he was living in Joburg, Kempton Park, UK, Upper Kempton, there he was doing his thing. Shout out to other friends in the real UK across the planet. But he was just doing his thing and his family had set things in motion for them to move to the UK or to Spain. One UK to the next, upward. And it was a very serious decision and it was all lined up and he told the story at Business Connect and it's just an amazing story because he goes to his wife and he says to her, here's what's going on, here's where we're going, here's where we're leading. And she says in these kind of words, I might get a little wrong, guys, just help me out. But she says, I'm not moving on a statistic. I'll follow you anywhere, but not on a statistic. Wives, come on, let courage arise. Someone said recently, my wife sounds very similar to the Holy Spirit a lot of times. But I love that she said to him very specific words, I'm not moving on a statistic. The world is metrical. It works on metrics, statistics, facts. You watch the news, it just sends you facts, facts, facts. Facts that produce fear. Fear is a great motivator, just a poor builder. So facts put fear in you. Some people are making decisions for their lives based on facts and fear, and they're leaving and going into spaces. Some people are controlling their lives because of facts and fear, and the measuring lines out, and we're deciding this is what my life will be. I'm not moving on a statistic. I like how in Zechariah, it's almost like God's saying, I will not be defined by human hands. I will not be defined in this country, South Africa, by another statistic. I'm the God of the universe. Statistics bow down to the Son of God, the King of heaven. Can I preach, Link Church? Can I remind you while we fill these halls, while we open the word, while we sing these songs, another one is on the way? It's an expectation of a miracle, not of a statistic. One plus one equals two. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. It says me plus faith equals anything. Equals anything. Not equals my thing. Equals anything. 
Link Church, this building has been full since the beginning of January 2024. It has been partly frustrating for some of you in the car park, and thank you for your patience. It is church. It should be full. It's awesome when things are overflowing. That is the work of God. We've put the measuring line away, and God is bursting this thing at the seams. Let me tell you, there'll be a third service, and Hilton will be full three times over before we blink too. Not because of us. Because another one is on the way. Metric after metric, no. Miracle after miracle. We are not in the metric system. Would you let that sink in for just a moment? Would you let that sink in as you calculate your next decision? Ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit, what does he want for your life? I'm telling you, friends, he sees it differently down on the right. But God, I'm ready to go. Down on the right, you should stay a little longer. It may look good to you. All the metrics might line up, but I'm telling you from heaven's perspective, that frames skew. And there's a better picture for your life. In Galatians 5, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with statistics. I wanna keep going until this thing finds itself deep in your heart. Since we live by the Spirit. What does he mean by this? We were born again by the Spirit of God. A spiritual rebirth. If you're new to church and you hear Christians saying, I was reborn when? I know it sounds strange. There's a simple application to it. They were born of flesh once and then of spirit again. And that could be your story today. You may have arrived going, man, I just wanna check out this church. I just wanna see what they're about. I just wanna, I wanna hang out. My friend likes it. My kids like it. I'm gonna check it out. Maybe today is your spiritual rebirth. Maybe you get born again in the spirit. And then, and then Paul says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. What has given us a second chance at life is the source of this new life. Since we live in spirit, God, thank you for setting me free, saving me. Hey, if it was metrics, my age 14 plus age 15 plus age 16 plus age 17 equals death. Equals jail time, equals no marriage, equals you may not make it to 25, Dylan. This is not looking good. Anyone else? Thank God we're not in the world system. God came down and met with me, 19 September, 2004. You know the story. And he gave me a spiritual rebirth. I was born again. Therefore, since we have been born in the spirit, let us keep in step with this gift that comes from heaven that saved me from my past and has guaranteed me my future. Put away the measuring line. Put away what you did. Put away what you're still planning to do. Put away how you're pleasing God because of the past that didn't please God. Put it down. Put away the measuring line and take up faith in this place. Tap your neighbor with a bit more courage this time. Say, don't measure me. Tap your other options. Say, I'm going places. It's interesting in the tabernacle, Every now and again, I feel a little shiller coming on. <laughs> I had a tooth pulled out. It feels kind of strange in the back of my mouth, forgive me. But in the tabernacle, um, there is dimension and size to everything. The old temple, the tabernacle, the place of meeting. Dimension and size. Everything has dimension, has size, has a metric. Except for one thing. The, the wash basin as you walk into the holy place, the inner courts. The wash basin of all the things, everything, dimension, size, and everything is a picture of something in God, right? Nothing was wasted in the tabernacle story. We'll preach about that sometime. You'll probably love it. 
But the basin is a picture of the Holy Spirit that gives us access to the presence of God. The only thing without measure. Everything has size and dimension except for the Spirit of God who's without form. Oh. You see, church, there's a difference between arriving and doing what's necessary next and arriving and asking God to come and show you where he's leading. There's a slight tweak between I've done church my whole life, grew up in this system, grew up in this statistic, I'm just a metric, and actually going, no, I am washed by the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been given access to the holy place where he gives me secrets that I don't hear in my physical self. There's something about this journey that is significantly bigger than the one I was on, without measure. I needed to write this down. I don't know why I wrote it. I got all excited this morning. I wrote it down. I'm not a star sign. I'm a spirit man. Someone say, hey, Dill, your energy, your efforts, your urgency, you must be an Aries. No, I'm all 12. I'm all of them. I promise you, I'll make up the solar system. I was born of heaven. Put away the star signs. It is not a spiritual metric. I'm not a star sign. I'm a spirit man. I'm not a statistic. I'm not a number on a board. I'm not a summary of themes. Those things help me understand, but I'm a spirit man. Tap your neighbor. Come on, we're gonna get used to this. Don't measure me. Don't measure me. I just set free a whole lot of husbands that are tired of their wives staring at the star signs. Anyway, Jesus, you're good. Second thing about this scripture, I see our walls coming down. I see a city without measure, and then I see walls coming down. It says, I will be myself the wall of fire around it. In other words, that wall doesn't count. I got a new one for you. Um, isn't it true we put walls up all the time? We do this to protect ourselves. Walls are protective mechanisms. We, we live in the suburbs, Tesna. We've got a big high wall around our house. It's tactical. Stay out. Walls are protective. And, you know, in your heart, you build walls too. Because every time someone goes into that place, you have like a little alarm that goes off. So you just build a bigger wall, basically give them warning signs before they get close enough, stay out. Uh, wives build walls from their husbands, stopping their husbands into the most intimate spaces of their lives, the best place of their lives. But you've been hurt before, and so the walls are up. And God says through Zechariah, my city, the way I build, will be without walls. She will not need to build walls to protect herself. I will be a wall of fire around her. I will protect what is precious and pure to my daughters. I will protect what is precious and pure to my sons. I will protect what is precious and pure to my gospel and the church. Friends, by the way, you don't have to protect the gospel and the doctrine of God. He will do it just fine on his own. He's more committed than protect, to protecting that word than you ever will be. And so we put walls up. I don't like that theology. I don't like the way he sees it. I don't like the way the church sings that. I don't like the way they business that thing. And the wall goes up and we restrict access to God helping us live beyond the walls. Can we talk about limiting beliefs for just a moment? Limiting beliefs are, are simply beliefs or foundations within the wiring of your brain that tell you that's the line. That's the line. So you, I'll give you some examples. Limiting beliefs are things like, I will never. It's called a limiting belief. That means whatever you put at the end of that sentence is the end of the line. That's the wall. Jerusalem's wall is defined by I will never be wealthy. End of story. 
limiting belief. I will never be great. End of story. By the way, the Bible wants you to be great. I can prove it to you another time. But you say, I will never be great. I will never, I will never, I will never achieve the level of success that my peers have achieved. Anyone ever said crazy things like that? This will never be my story. I will never break this addiction. That's a wall that goes up and that city's boundaries now lie within. And God says through the prophet Zechariah, he says, run with, a, with urgency. Tell the man with the measuring line, put it down for you will not be able to measure what I will do with my people. I will be the wall of fire that burns around them. The walls have got to come down. The measuring line has to be left behind and the walls have got to come down. I got a question for you, church. Where have you built a wall where God wants to unlock more? Where have you built a wall where God simply wants to unlock more? One of the greatest walls we build in our limiting belief system is this one. That's how it's always been. Oh, I'm gonna preach some nostalgia for just a moment. Ever had this thought living in South Africa? The good old days? That, my friends, is not a positive reinforcement. It is a limiting belief. The good old days, I remember when. That's the boundary of where your existence will live up to. I remember when we, listen, there may have been parts of it that were good. The point is that you've put up a wall. It's a limiting belief. I wish we could have what was. They say like with nostalgia and psychology, it's got, it's both power and pause. Power because it connects us back to a story that actually gives us connection and joy. I remember when I was with the children that are now no longer close by. I remember when my wife and I had great intimacy. It, it connects us to the story. It, it's got power in it, but it puts pause right where that power is in today. In other words, it says, it only gets me up to where I am today. Nostalgia will not take me into my future. So in South Africa, it's okay to go, Man, I remember when it felt safer and our kids, I hear this all the time, our kids rode bicycles on the streets. Beautiful, nostalgic psychology that says it was good at, once, at one time. The problem is you're probably stuck in not believing it can get better. And God says, run. Tell that man before he measures out Jerusalem the way he sees it, that this city will be without measure and with no walls. And we've got to build a people, a church full of people that believes that South Africa will be a place without walls. That yesterday won't define how far we can go into tomorrow. That our past won't be the best thing that we ever were. That our future could be greater than we've ever imagined. We've got to believe that we're a city and we're a nation without walls. And if you say yes, still, but it's hard. Of course it is. But you've got to put down, you've got to drop down the walls that have said, I'm settling here. You know what the writer Zechariah prophetically perhaps could see, couldn't see, I'm not sure, I wasn't around, didn't have a chance to say what exactly were you seeing, but for sure the picture of Jerusalem that has burst at its seams is the church today. Imagine he had said, that's kind of where my glory is gonna hang. This, this, this small surrounded city in Israel in the center of the world is gonna be the end of the church story. That's, that's it, that's God on earth. But he, didn't, he said, tell them that those walls won't contain what I'm about to do, friends. And every time you put up a wall, you almost disassociate yourself with the gospel, which says there are no walls. Perhaps you've been through pain and the walls come up. I can't go there again. And God says, you need to trust me. Let down that wall for I will establish new boundaries of your life, boundaries that will enjoy measures of love you never thought existed. 
God's people, he knew, were gonna try and preserve and protect what was at the expense of what could be. In Mark 11, chapter 23, let's read it. You good, church? It's good food. Mark 11, chapter 23, it says, uh, I tell you the truth, Jesus talking now, he's giving an analogy, spoken parables. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Pause, surely you read it like I do. Mountains don't move. So Jesus is perhaps asking or provoking thought that is different to if I speak to that mountain, physically it disappears. Like as in, if I've got enough faith, that mountain will move. Let me show you what it means to put the walls down. Jesus perhaps is saying, it's less about what you believe being possible, mountain move, and more about believing that with him nothing is impossible. Because if you read a little bit further on in that scripture, it says, for nothing is impossible for God. So it's less about going, you should believe the mountain should move, therefore the mountain would move. No, that's works-based Christianity. That's putting all the pressure on you to be so full of faith that your life lives in the heavens. God isn't like that. God knows we're just part of the flesh society and he'll be kind enough to say, you just have to believe that with me it is possible that that mountain might move. Are you with me? Not God, I believe it's possible that my marriage will look different next year. Now you're putting all the pressure on yourself to have the faith for your marriage to look different next year. God, I just believe that it's not impossible for you to do a work in my marriage. Flip the script. Put the pressure on him. Big God, small us. I just sense, I'm leveling up, I'm leveling up. I'm seeing it like you see it, God. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Could the mountain be thrown into the sea? If you're doing something with it, definitely God, because nothing is impossible for you. If it's about me seeing it disappearing and ending there, God issues. God, I'm not sure that's possible, but nothing is impossible for you. I hope this is finding you, church. It's not what do you believe is possible, it's what I believe is not impossible for him. The third thing I see is I see a, a story of God fanning the flame. And I'm gonna hang here for a little bit as we close. A story of God fanning the flame. Let's read the Zechariah scripture again and just remind ourselves what God might be saying. Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. By the way, that's a promise of provision. And I myself will be a wall of fire around her. So we don't need your walls, we need a different wall, me as fire, God as fire. Now we see in the scriptures many times God show up in fire, I think there's over 600 mentions of God as a fire in the scriptures. One of them is Moses in the burning bush, you know that one? As Moses was leading the Israelites through the, the desert, God said, I will lead you by a pillar of fire by night. And so fire was God showing them destiny. Can we just go on a journey for a moment? So fire was God showing them destiny. Um, in Matthew chapter three, I believe it is, it's John talking about Jesus coming. He says, I baptize you with water, but there's one who comes far greater than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
always preach that fire is a consuming fire, but it's not, it's a consecrating fire. It's a refining fire. It's a setting you apart fire. It's not showing you what you lack. It's purifying you to see what you have. The gospel, friends, is a gospel of grace. It comes to show you who you always were. Jesus comes to restore and to save what you are into what you always were meant to be. And so when John is talking about, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and fire, he's telling you that there's one greater than I that's gonna come and he's gonna do something so unique in you. Now listen to the fire story. Pentecost, it says they were all waiting in one room and suddenly the sound of a rushing wind And the Holy Spirit came and rested upon them and seemed like tongues of fire. So Jesus, Paul, John says, he'll come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So they're waiting on it and he comes and the fire comes and says tongues of fire. And then what happens next, church? You know the story, Pentecost Sunday. They bust through the walls of that building and they take on the streets. 3,000 people get saved and baptized and it never ends. You're sitting here today because of fire that came upon God's people. Now, can I go back to the Zechariah prophecy and ask just a question? Perhaps it has something to do with the way God works with us too. Perhaps it has something to do with us putting away the measuring line, dropping the walls that we've put up to protect ourselves, living free of fear, and then also asking God to fan the flame. Fan the flame. It's amazing. In the Old Testament, uh, God tells, I believe it's in Leviticus 6 somewhere, He's giving instruction for how temple worship works. And he says, I will sustain the fire, but the priest must put on wood. In other words, the, fl- the flame will never go out. It, it, it'll, ha- it'll have a flicker forever, but your responsibility as the priesthood is to put on wood. Tap your neighbor and say, add wood. So if we're talking about a city without walls and he will be a fire around it, then it's almost to suggest that the burn will become the boundary. Can I say that again? That where I'm burning will become my new boundary. Where I lack burn, I'm in statistics. I'm in flesh. And flesh lives by fear. It's a good motivator, but a poor builder. And it motivates me to get up and do another day's work, but it never sees me through to the future. And yet when I allow God to put a flame and a burn inside my heart, and I'm gonna speak to some of you in this room, because if you're really honest, you let that thing flicker all day, every day, and you're okay with it, but in your heart, you know there's more. When that thing bursts into flame, it's like it sets a new boundary. Let me give some examples. Before I got saved, I was scared of people's opinions. I mean it. I was a people pleaser. Anyone else, don't raise your hands. I was a people pleaser. I was so concerned for public opinion. If your children default towards popular groups, friends, popular is not the issue. People pleasing is. They're scared of people's opinions. And so I was scared of people's opinions. Let me tell you, friends, I got saved, I got baptized, and I got filled with the Spirit of God. And like this, it broke off me. Like this, it broke off me. Do I care that people think I'm a good guy? Probably somewhere deep down I do. Is it gonna change the way I live my life for Jesus? Not even a stitch. Not interested. We were chatting the other day. Someone said that the privilege of spending a moment with our, with our, um, our prime minister. What do we call him here? President. <laughs> Too much UK talk. Our president, they said they had a meeting with him and they said, man, the guy just looks... He just looks hollow and he's got such a big job on his hands. I said, 
Set him free. Tell him the job's not his house. Set him free. Say, Mr. President, all due respect, you will not make a decision good enough to build the future of this country. That'll come from the burn that's in God's people that sees no boundary close enough, just takes a step across into a new day and says the church can do things that no one else on the planet can do. You're walking into boardrooms and there's a metric and there's a strategy and there's public opinion you best light yourself on fire before you walk in there. You best get yourself so full of God, so ready to do what He's called you to do, that no one's opinion in that room even matters. You know, it was John Wesley who said, someone said, John Wesley, the great revivalist, if you can call it, the Wesleyan revivals, just amazing stories. He said, John, what's the secret? He said, oh, it's very simple. I just light myself on fire and people drive for miles to watch me burn. What if you today just allowed God to light you on fire? How do we light ourselves on fire? We do the things that let His breath get close. We surrender, we sing, we serve, we sow. We basically say, God, we're getting the story as far away from us as possible. We want your fire. We want your flame. We want the gift that comes from heaven. Jesus said, wait for me and I will send one greater than I. And then when He did, the Holy Spirit came. The fire came. watch my kids growing up all the time. The thing the world does most intentionally, unknowingly, is quench their flame. The devil, friends, knows if he, if he keeps that flame down, the boundaries set. And yet, if you allow God to fan the flame, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame, Timothy, the gift which is given to you by the laying on of hands. That word gift is charisma. It's not the exercised gifts, the things that build the church. It's the gift of God through salvation, the grace of God that saved me from my past and delivered me into my future. Now, all you gotta do is go back to the day that God touched your life when you didn't deserve it and remind yourself what the flame felt like. Remind yourself, I love new believers. There, there, is, not a, there is not another prayer night that is too much for them. There is not a, there's not a ask of them that is too big. There's not a meeting that they're not most excited for. If you're a new believer, we're building church with people like you. Why? Because you keep the flame burning and the fire is what defines the future. I cannot say this enough. Your fire defines your future. No fire, no future. No burn, short boundaries. Big burn, wide open boundaries. David says, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. That wasn't because by mistake they fell there. That's because David lived with a burning sensation to serve God. He just kept doing what God had called him to do. Kept living out of his comfort zone. Kept stepping into battlefields. Kept leading people when all he wanted to do was push eject. And then he would stand and go, my boundary lines have fallen because David, you burn so hot, my friend, there is no boundary. Stand with me, church. I believe the Father wants to say to you today, put these words into your mouth as you, as you enter parenting, as you enter business, as you enter friendships. Don't measure me from a city without walls. 
the Lord is the fire that burns and protects me. Don't measure me, for I will be a city without walls, like Jerusalem, and the Lord himself will be a fire that surrounds me, and he will be the glory with it. The momentum that we are experiencing as a church right now is not in our brilliance, it's in the burn. Holy Spirit, I ask with almost desperate, come and break through the boundaries people have set for their lives with the new burn. Come and breathe, Holy Spirit, on the flickering flames in people's hearts. Come and breathe on them. Even now, let it feel like a raging furnace. Let it feel like what's inside us is far greater than what's around us. Let it feel like the fire is coming alive in your church, God. I see fires walking out into city streets tomorrow. I see fires leaving homes and cars with school lifts of children that don't know Jesus and the car's so hot, the car's so hot, the car's so hot that other friends in the car will ask, what's it about? What's this thing going on? Because the fire's burning. There's a new boundary. You have new influence in people's lives. I see you singing and worshiping and as you sing and as you worship, fire's gonna burn, fire's gonna burn and people are gonna say, what is it about this person? There's a new boundary of influence, church. Oh, would you set a fire in our hearts, Jesus. Set a fire in our hearts, Lord. Why don't you just open up your hands, church. Set your hearts in heaven. Ask Him to come and burn in you, burn in you, burn in you.